What you are hearing is a story that you probably caught on social media this last week. New York and cities all around the U.S. are cheering for healthcare workers at their shift change. And when it seems like we're just getting bad news after bad news in the, in the news cycle, it was really, really nice to have a feel-good story for a change. So for all those essential workers out there, healthcare, transportation, public works employees, custodians and janitors, grocery store workers, pharmacy and convenience store employees, journalists, teachers, I know that I'm missing a lot, but I just wanted to say thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Coping Season, a podcast for those of us trying to get by, trying to get better. I'm your host, Andy Cochran. Today is Monday, April 20th. And on the show last time, our main focus was exploring anticipatory grief, how it relates to the current pandemic and coping strategies to help with overcoming this sense of anxiety or stress it can give us. This week, I thought it would be worthwhile to explore another aspect of coping that is related to our current predicament. If you're like me, you've been social distancing, self-isolating, shelter-in-placing, and quarantining for about three weeks. And if you're like me, it probably feels a lot longer. If you're like me, you might have found your job affected by the current economic climate in our nation. And if you're like me, you might be trying your very best just to keep it all together. And you might be starting to get a little bit tired. Which is why our focus for today's episode is resilience. We need it. Dr. Anthony Fauci predicted that the death toll could be between 100 and 200,000 people in our country. Currently, we're at about 33,000, but that means that even though all of our self-isolating and social distancing and shelter-in-placing and quarantining is hard, it's still very necessary, and we need to stay vigilant and resilient. So let's talk about it. This idea of resilience, it's been around for a while, but it definitely became a buzzword if you were anywhere near a classroom from about 2010 to 2015. It was popularized by this idea of grit. Angela Duckworth wrote an entire book about it, and it took off among public schools. Everyone was trying to incorporate it into the curriculum. Now, I like the idea, but you'll hear in just a second after she gives her description that there are some, some flaws that go along with it as well. But here's Duckworth from a TED Talk back in 2013. Grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future. Day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years. And working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon not a sprint. To me, the most shocking thing about grit is how little we know, how little science knows about building it. Every day, parents and teachers ask me, how do I build grit in kids? What do I do to teach kids a solid work ethic? How do I keep them motivated for the long run? The honest answer is, I don't know. So I like her definition at the beginning that grit or resilience is passion and perseverance on a macro scale. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Thinking like that is helpful for me when lately I'm getting teary-eyed when I see characters in movies or on TV who lose a parent or anyone close to them. 
what bothered me when I heard this in the classroom is that last part when she says she doesn't know how to build or teach grit or resilience. I remember thinking like, okay, so, you know, what's the point of this anyway? So today on the show, we investigate resilience. Can it be a learned skill? First, we turn to Maria Konnikova. She's a former staff writer for The New Yorker who is so good at doing research that while preparing for a story about high-stakes poker, she got good enough to go pro. And that's literally what she does now. But she did have a piece back in 2016 when grit in schools was still very popular. And one of the common denominators that she found for this idea of resilience is that stories about resilience, there's often hardship or trauma that one has to overcome. She writes, resilience presents a challenge for psychologists. Whether you can be said to have it or not largely depends not on any particular psychological test, but on the way your life unfolds. So for those of you keeping track at home, you might tally this in the no, resilience is not a learned skill in that column. For over a year now, though, we've been hearing stump speeches from the over 20 people that were vying for political office in the Democratic primary. Remember Cory Booker, Beto O'Rourke, Mayor Pete, Kamala Harris? I think there was even some guy named Hickenlooper at some point. All of these individuals tried to share their vision of the same story. Narrative is really what connects us to these candidates. And stories of resilience are powerful. But what happens if you have two candidates that haven't really experienced hardship? That never really had to overcome anything. As we know in politics, you might just like make something up or take it from somebody else. But can you be resilient if you haven't really had to overcome anything? I mean, besides losing my mom, my life has been pretty easy. Maria Konnikova cites George Bonanno. He is a clinical psychologist at Columbia University's Teachers College. He's the founder of the Lost Trauma and Emotion Lab, which aims to do pretty much what this podcast is about. I sent him an email. We'll see if he gets back to me. But... One of his theories of resilience starts with an observation. All of us possess the same fundamental stress response system in our brain, which has evolved over millions of years and which we share with other animals. The vast majority of people are pretty good at using this system to deal with stress. When it comes to resilience, the question is, why do some people use the system much more frequently or effectively than others? One of the other central elements of resil resilience that Bonanno has found is perception. Do you conceptualize an event as traumatic or as an opportunity to learn and grow? He says events are not traumatic until we experience them as traumatic. So I guess essentially what he is saying is that it's relative. For those of you keeping track at home, you might put mark this in the column is that it can be technically learned. The gist of what Bonanno is saying is that having or not having a traumatic event in your life isn't necessarily the point. We all have active imaginations and currently we're, we're living through a global health pandemic. We don't have to look far to think of an event as potentially traumatic. And yet we see acts of kindness and strength throughout the confusion of this mess. We can learn from potentially traumatic experiences to make meaning. On our last episode, we quickly mentioned the stages of grief. 
and making meaning was one of the stages that David Kessler, a grief expert, created as a way to cope with loss. I think that understanding the stages of grief can be helpful when trying to understand how to become resilient by making meaning from loss or trauma. Since we started the episode talking about grit and that Angela Duckworth had trouble figuring out how to teach it, I'm just going to solve her problem for her right here. Okay, you ready? Let's pretend that you're a teacher and you're giving an assignment. There is a student who is reluctant to do the assignment, and we're going to treat that assignment like it is a piece of loss or trauma, right? And that student now is going to go through the stages of grief as a result of not wanting to do the assignment. So the stages of grief, we have denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance. So first you give the assignment and you have step one, denial. Students like, nope, I'm not gonna do it, sorry. And you as the teacher, you're like, okay, sorry kiddo, you're gonna have to do this assignment. Stage two is when you have anger. The student says, okay, well, I hate you and I hate this class. And the teacher says, well, um, you have a couple options then. You can work on it here or you can work on it in the principal's office. And that's where we come to bargaining, stage three. Um, some The student is then saying, well, what if I do part of the assignment here and then I just do the rest at home? And the teacher says, okay, well, that's an idea, but how do I know that you're gonna get it done? Take a seat, let's go. That brings us to stage four, just sadness. The student sits down at their desk and is just not happy to be there at all, right? So let's give that student a couple minutes. The teacher comes around, uh, takes a knee at their desk and says, hey, look, I know this isn't ideal, but we're in a classroom and we all have a role to play. I know that you can get this done and you know you can get this done too, so let's knock it out and move on. Stage five, kid's like, fine. And that's acceptance, right? So Kessler's sixth stage uh, is making meaning, where after a student gets this work done, and you look at this whole whole process from start to finish and you say, hey, great job, okay? I knew you could do it. It took a little while, but we got there. Remember when you said that you hated me? <laughs> that was crazy, right? Because that was just like writing four sentences. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But let's keep this in mind for the next time that this happens, right? I'd love for an administrator to keep track of the stages of grief with individual assignments for reluctant students to show how it affects performance and then really focus on that making meaning that last step to try and, you know, really hammer home that like, look, that's where grit is. That's it right there. And here are the steps leading up to it. So let's work on trying to create a formula for students to understand that as well. Anyway, back to resilience. For those of you keeping track at home, we are ending this episode with a tie. On one hand, you could say that resilience really comes down to the way your life unfolds, and it's not necessarily a learned skill. On the other hand, you could say that it comes down to how you perceive events in your life. If you perceive an event to be traumatic, then you can also use that event to make meaning and learn from it. So, can resilience be a learned skill? I'll let your perception be the judge. To conclude today's show, we do need to make meaning, right? For me, in the past two months, my mom has died. A global pandemic has swept across the world. Many people have lost their jobs, myself included, and over 150,000 people have lost their lives. It's a really rough start to the year. But to keep a resilient mindset, we have to think about making meaning from all of this to rise above. Individually, resilience looks different for all of us, right? So I lost my mom, but she gave me a lifetime of lessons. So I'm gonna be writing those down, 
being mindful of those, journaling, and maybe I'll even share some on our Instagram page. I lost a job opportunity, but I've also been given a chance now to work on this podcast, which I really love doing, researching, making calls to friends, practicing being mindful, and sharing techniques with you. Resilience for all of us means that we have to make meaning from this entire disaster. We can definitely all work on being more prepared, washing our hands, maybe being healthier. We can take action to slow the spread of the virus. In addition to respecting stay-at-home orders in your particular city, you can reach out to elderly family members and check in on the people you care about more often and let them know that you love them. Making meaning from your experiences, whether good or bad, is where we create grit in ourselves and we find collective resilience to get through this. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd like to mention that we have over 100 people that follow us on Facebook now, which is awesome. Thank you. We are also streaming on Spotify. Uh, I submitted our podcast to iTunes as well, so I'll keep you in the loop when that happens. And please continue to leave comments and send messages on the Facebook page. I'd really appreciate it. I started an Instagram page as well. Some of you guys have been following. I'll be a little bit better about sharing some things on that page uh, in the next week. And finally, you can always reach out with emails at copingseason at gmail.com. That's C-O-P-I-N-G-S-Z-N at gmail.com. Coping Season is created and produced by me, Andy Cochran. Thanks again so much for listening, and take care.